0: And if you can just uh, join me and raise your hands, Tim, that would be great. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Pastor Gordy. And it's his heart to serve you, uh, to love on you by being our pastor. And we just ask that right now that you would come and fill him up with your strength and with your. Wisdom and that he would have confidence, and just in the things that he is about to share from his heart, that you've a place there. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, uh, fill in any gaps that he may feel that he's weak at. I know that uh, he's been feeling a little bit more unwell these last few days. So, come mm-hmm. and just heal him, Lord. And for this time, just really give him the strength to be able to share all that you have on your heart for us this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. Awesome. So, uh, the text today we're sharing from is uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 33. And uh, as I was preparing, I just was so blessed and moved by this text that I I almost felt like it's just a sermon uh just in itself you don't need to say a lot of extra so I think what I'll do is i'll prop- i'll kind of set the table we're going to read the text together a little bit later but i'm going to set the table a little bit for you so that you can really uh, get the get the juice of of what's what uh what's coming out of this text and to to uh in wrestling with kind of what i I hear as, as the topic for today, I thought of an experience that happened in, when I was a preschooler. And uh, <clears throat> I know that I was a preschooler then because I remember it was in front of uh front yard of my house in Vulcan, Alberta, where my dad, the house was actually a church. But my dad used to build these churches when I was growing up where you'd, the, the pastor would live in the church. It'd be like my family living in this building somewhere. And they called it a parsonage. And so I was playing out in front of the church, which was also my house at the same time. And I was, I was riding my tricycle. And I, I noticed this one in these fifties vintage style fifties cars sitting in in front. I think it was either my parents or my uncles or somebody's. Of course back then it wasn't vintage. (laughs) It was state-of-the-art, but I'm just saying now it's vintage. Um, And I remember that I had seen my parents and my uh, uncles and significant others start this thing enough times that I was pretty sure I could start it. I didn't plan on going anywhere, but I just kind of got off my tricycle, went into the car and started pushing some buttons and that thing started to move. And to this day, I can't, I don't know, I'll have to check with my mom and dad because they listen to this by podcast, but I can't—I don't know if I started the car or if it just went into gear uh, or out of gear or whatever and, and just started to roll, but it rolled and went right over my trike. <laughs> And, and came up against uh, a bit of a knoll and stopped. And needless to say, my parents took all the necessary steps to make sure I never had the keys again or any access to starting the car for the next uh, 12 years of my life. <laughs> but about 12 years later, I, went, I, I reached 14 years of age, which I think you can still do in Alberta. Went to the, down to the AMA and I got my driver's license uh, written test and they, they handed me a learner's license. And uh, for the next two years, my dad suffered many nervous breakdowns, being my teacher while I was learning to drive. We started out in the bush somewhere, like with lots of space and no danger of hitting anything, like it was the prairies, right? and maybe run over a gopher or something, but that was about it. And for two years, I took my driver test uh, training and successfully passed my road test at the age of 16, after which my dad actually, some, sometimes shortly after that, had so entrusted my driving that he trusted me with the family car to drive hundreds of miles away from northern Alberta to Sunnyside. Remember that? Sylvan Lake, Alberta? went for a youth camp brought a bunch of my friends so that was pretty cool so the question is what can I be entrusted with and my, my, my reason for telling this story is that this will help us understand what's going on in the book of Exodus because God has delivered Israel out of Egypt but he doesn't take them straight to the promised land he doesn't take them straight to where they were supposed to go. They go through this big long detour and it's training and it's testing for being able to have the family car as as it were for Israel. So what is the family car? The family car is what we introduced last week as our greatest value and highest priority in, in in the vineyard, in the church, in the kingdom that God says is most important to God. And that is, and all of you who are listening so attentively last Sunday will tell me that it's relationships of intimacy and trust with God and one another. That's the family car. And, you know, you hear that and you go, Well, that's simple. Not. Have you ever had difficulty connecting with God? Anybody here? How many have kind of find, found this thing of intimacy and relating to God as a little bit frustrating sometimes? Come on, be honest. Usually, most of us are in that category. And, you know, life is hard enough without that. Right? Life is hard enough just getting, just surviving. Let alone being successful at something. Right? If if we could just survive, that that would be be amazing. But then, this whole thing of connecting with God, uh, someone we can't see or hear. As Wimber used to say, I feel like I'm talking to the plaster on the ceiling. Right? Because it's, it's an act of faith, and we have to trust God in ways that go beyond our senses, what we see and hear. And, you know, like I, I've been practicing centering prayer now for years as I began to move into the contemplative tradition. And I take about 20 minutes, I don't know about you, but for the 20 minutes of centering prayer that I do, I would say that maybe there's 30 seconds to a minute where I'm actually centered. Most of the time, there's a big train going through my head. And, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about, you know, what I'm going to preach about. <laughs> Does anybody have that problem? So it's hard to get centered. It's hard to be present to God and to just be with God in adoring wonder. But I was quite encouraged. By the way, if any of you have that problem, I was encouraged by a Catholic priest who was writing about it. And he said, imagine it like a balloon. You know when a balloon comes down and it bounces? And then it then goes off again? And that point where the balloon bounces is that point where you've just centered on God. You've just returned to God. You've just returned to Him. And we've talked about this in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. And that balloon hits and then it bounces again and you'll, you know, you'll wander around and just come back. Just keep returning. And, but it's hard work. Right? It's hard work. Often we go through dry spells where there's no love or joy or peace in our lives, and we just feel this sparse emptiness that we often call the desert. And then to complicate things, each of us is designed to connect with God in ways that are differently than others. So, you know, I could say to you, well, if you would just do this, 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 and this, then you'd really have a rich relationship with God. But the problem is, you're unique. There are universal practices of prayer and meditation and corporate worship that are important, but the ways that we respond, the ways that we, that's why, how many have heard of the Enneagram It was introduced by Richard Rohr to the church and it's really being developed because it's recognizing the different ways that, the different brokennesses we have, the false selves that we take on in in trying to impress God and please God and, and impress other people rather than really being who we are. So there's lots of good studies going on, but it's hard work. And there's no one-size-fits-all spirituality. Is that good news? There's no one-size-fits-all, which may explain why some of you have had frustrations with this thing. It's because you've been trying to use somebody else's armor in this. And then to complicate things further, our relationship with God is hinged on our relationship with others. Jesus said you can't boil the greatest commandment down to one. There's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. And they're hinged. Our relationship with God cannot be separated from our relationship with others. We cannot know God alone. We come together because we can't do this journey alone. We were never meant to. We were created in the image of a, a relational God, the relational Trinity. And Hillary McBride, for those of you that heard her on Thursday night, talked about how that this is even proven in our biology. There's a field of study called interpersonal neurobiology, and they have discovered that we are more than just individual, autonomous beings. That our selfhood and our person is personhood is interpersonal. Um, what feels like the self or the mind is a relational and embodied process where we are not defined by the boundaries of our skin, but within our experiences in relationships. And this is where God wants to dwell. That's His house. is, is in our connectedness with one another and with God. So these get complicated. How many found people are weird? Yeah. And, and, and of course, they think the same about you. And uh, they're different. And so just, I find just trying to get together with somebody in community is complicated. You ever try to get together with somebody? What, does this work? No, that doesn't work. Sometimes you just want to throw your pen against the wall and say, I'm an introvert, deal with it, right? It's hard. You've got to negotiate space. People are different. They have different likes and dislikes. Plus, we're all fallen and we, we hurt each other. And the people we hurt the most are the people we love the most. If that doesn't show us our fallenness, I don't know what does. And nowadays, there was a great article yesterday. It's been complicated by the Me Too movement. There's a great article in The Sun yesterday that talks about how there's a whole wave of insecurity that's come into the workplace in public places because of the the Me Too movement. There's there's these non-negotiables where everybody knows there's certain behavior that's not okay, but it's created a bunch of gray questions, gray area questions like, can I touch somebody on the shoulder? Can I give somebody a hug? Um, And so the Vancouver Foundation has done a shocking survey to find that 77% of the people in the Lower Mainland would never ask a stranger a question. Or initiate a conversation. 77%. 77%. So. Yeah. Yeah. And me too. Yeah, the other 23% are Irish. Uh, I must say, happy St. Patrick's Day and birthday, by the way, Lynn. And. Yeah, I mean, I I, it, I certainly can't relate to that statistic, but because uh, I do often ask questions of strangers or or uh, initiate conversation, as you guys noticed, um, and yeah, it's a couple of Korean home state uh students were walking through Safeway on uh, Friday, and I said to them, 안녕하세요. Well, they almost passed out. <laughs> you know, like they were, like seriously, they were so shocked. So then we had a nice conversation about Korea. So this is the car. This is the family car. This, this, this intimacy with God and each other in community is the family car that God wants to entrust Israel with and us with. And it's hard work. It takes training. Remember that they came out of Egypt, and they first went from Canaan to e- e- Egypt. And then God delivered them from Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and there's these, this training that he does. And the first training was, remember, he said, take a day off. It's very hard to cultivate community without a day off. All right, Otherwise, you're just a human doing, not a human being. So the journey is, is full of stops. where Sabbath means stop, to stop. God said for 400 years you haven't had a day off. But now... Once a week, I'm going to give you a new invention. It's called the weekend. You get to take, you get to stop, right? So they have all of these adventures with God, and then they arrive at Mount Sinai. The other thing that happened was the pace was as slow as the slowest person. That's how fast the whole nation of 1.5 million people traveled was as fast as the slowest person. Imagine somebody in a walker or a wheelchair or with a you know a baby carriage or a pregnant mom or you know or a senior. They went. That was God's pace. That's why a Japanese a theologian wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. I like that. So our society doesn't understand being unhurried. Have you noticed that? So Friday back at Safeway, Friday three. Three things happened within, a short, within one hour to me that showed me our society doesn't understand slowing down. The first thing was I met Starbucks and there's this lineup rage that happens between the security guy and some guy that butted in the line and just wanted a drink of water. So there's this big shouting match. It got so escalated it, it was almost a police incident. So they ushered the guy out. I'm standing in line buying my groceries and another guy tries to jump the queue at the customer service. And again, a big shouting match and with, and the staff, I, I mean, the staff needs some training how to de-escalate because they just, <coughs> they escalated it and it was just horrible. It was just, and everybody's just, it was so sad. I was just going, this is so sad. And um, so then I get in the car to drive home and I'm making a left-hand turn. And you know how it's on Broadway. Broadway has three lanes at that time of the day, oncoming traffic. And the cars are just roaring by and I'm waiting to make my left hand turn. And the light turns yellow and it was kind of pink. (laughs) Kind of yellow and red, in between red and yellow is pink, right? So, but I'm not moving yet because I can't tell for sure if the guys coming have stopped. So someone's laying on their horn behind me. And I said to myself, am I a Christian? <laughs> <laughs> so so I drove, I drove all the way home along Victoria, coming home, and this person tailgated me all the way. And, I, and what I did was I didn't, I didn't pay any attention to them. I was just listening to what was going on in me. Have you ever listened have you ever been tailgated? So, so I gotta tell you this crazy story. Some of you probably saw it. So this woman who's driving from Whistler to Pemberton, she she uh calls the police because somebody was driving too slow. The police gave her two tickets, something like five hundred dollars in fines, right? Because the rear view camera it was a driver instruction car, the rear view camera caught her taking a photograph with her cell phone. And it caught her trying to cross a solid line. But here's the punchline. Are you ready for this? I, I just thought, I, this is crazy. The driver instructor was interviewed later and he said, yeah, I knew what was going on and, and I just was trying to teach the student to be patient and how to handle a tailgater. <laughs> I love that, but it's true, how, isn't that part of learning how to live, how do we handle tailgaters, right, how are we going to slow down, some of them have your own tailgaters inside of you, right, they're just pushing you, push, 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 so, so they come, oh, I forgot to show you this, yeah, there's Mount Sinai, so they come to Mount Sinai, so Moses goes up the mountain, right, and they're just not used to being unhurried. They're not used to stopping. So Moses goes up the mountain. He says, I don't know. God told me to come. I'll see you guys in a bit. I don't know how long. So one day passes. Two days passes. They're looking at that. How many know after a few days, they're going, this guy, I don't know. if He's coming back. I think he got barbecued up there. Right? So as, as our text said last week, after 40 days... 40 days later, you know what it's like to be a slave where every day for, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, you just go, 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 no day off. And then all of a sudden, 40 days, all you do is just be? They didn't know how to handle it. So they created a God that they could manage and control, that golden calf, right? And And, of course, it was like cheating on your lover on your honeymoon night. For God. That's how God felt. When they created another God. And God was brokenhearted. So Moses pleads with God. And asks him to show mercy. And God decides that he will. By Moses intercession. And we come to our text today. So I want you. I want to keep this in mind. That Moses then goes up for another 40 days. Remember they did not know it was going to be 40 days. They didn't know. He goes up again and again. They don't know if it's going to be. He took 80 days after the big golden calf thing. He went back up again for another 80 days. They said, hmm, we we learned our lesson last time. Maybe we'll just chill a little bit this time, right? So Moses goes up to the mountain and God says, Yahweh says to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Mennonites, and Nutterites. Sorry, that's not in there. Verse 3. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Did you get that? Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you. Because you're stiff-necked people and it might destroy you on the way. It's like entrusting you with a family car and you're going to run over a trike. You're going to wreck it all. I can't entrust this to you. I can't entrust... The longing of God's heart from creation was to live in the midst of us. That's what God wants. Revelation 22. Revelation 20. Behold... God is with humanity again and he will dwell with them and we will need no more sun because he will be the sun and the light of the city. That's God's longing. I read the story of of Isaac and Rebecca from Genesis 24 this week. It's a love story and I cried and I thought, why am I crying? And I realized the whole story of history is a love story that God wants to live with us. and A broken hearted God says, I was going to live among you and I can't. I can't do this. So when the people heard these distressing words, because it was distressing, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. Now they, they used to wear earrings, nose rings, bracelets, ankle from Egypt. It was an Egyptian practice that they did. For the Lord had said to them, to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If, you, if I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I'll decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. And they, the Hebrew literally says they never put the, the ornaments on again. They never wore those again. In their... So they were grieving now. Because all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute. God isn't going to be with us anymore. He's going to send some, somebody else that we don't know. And this is the God that brought us out of slavery, out of Egypt. So, they begin to realize this disastrous news. And they realize that, yeah, God, God is everywhere. I think Christine prayed that a little bit earlier. We don't need to say, Lord, come, because he's here. But there is... God is in every person. I know I'm going to offend some of your theologies, but I believe God's in every person. Acts chapter 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. Paul was preaching to a bunch of pagans. The issue is we're out of relationship with that God. That's why Augustine said, when I return to myself, I return to you. Right? But we're out of relationship. It was an issue of not being in relationship and having the family car and being in intimacy with God and enjoying his presence. And they began to realize, wait a minute. So they began to grieve. So it's an expression of grief. Now Moses used to take a tent. Now something really strange happens here. This is really interesting. Remember where are we? Where are we? Where's the setting of this? It's at the base of the mount, which is in the desert. So we're in training. So there's training going on. Remember that even when you fail, God will use the failure to train you. God will use our fall. Uh, I think Richard Rohr calls it falling upward. Right? He uses our... Fa- so God's, God's still working through the failure to train them. So there's a training thing going on. It says, this is right at Mount Horeb. So Moses took a tent, pitched it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Remember when God said to them... Uh, I want to talk to you. And they said, no, 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 God, speak through Moses and make us, uh, you know, uh, you be the mediator. And, and, and they kept God at a distance. So this, this word distance is again coming up here. So the issue was God saying th- th- with you that Hebrew word is in the midst of them. So it's not like God wasn't around, but just in the midst of them with that communion and that intimacy, that family car, he couldn't entrust them with. So Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. I don't know, maybe it was like one of our pup tents. I don't know what it looked like. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So see what's happening here? So God's not in their midst anymore. But Moses builds a tent outside the camp, but still in view, still close enough they can kind of see what's going on, right? And then Moses goes and enters that tent, and here's what they see. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So here's the picture. Moses goes out to this tent that's in view of everybody. As he goes into the tent, they see the cloud, that pillar of cloud come down, which was God's presence, symbolic of God's presence. And Moses and God would just chill together. They would just have this amazing time together. And the people in their places, from a distance would worship so Moses said to the Lord you've been telling me lead these people let's just enter into this conversation this is just so amazing to me but you've not let me know whom you will send with me remember he said he would send an angel right so Moses says well who's the angel who's this person so he goes on you said I know you by name and you have found favor with me who said that Who said that? Huh? Yahweh, God. God said that, and who did he say it to? Who's he talking to? In this text, who's he talking to? Moses. So Moses quotes God's statement to him. He said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Did you know that once you meet Jesus that's 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 your saving moment when you hear God call you by name maybe not audibly but something in your heart goes you're mine you're my child I'm your father I'm your God and you found favor with me how have we found favor with him how does that happen Anybody remember? Anybody remember uh, Jesus? His performance? What he did for us on the cross? Yeah? So Moses has had a saving moment. You know, we say the Testament, Old Testament saints looked forward to the cross. We look back. But he's already found this favor with God. And he goes on to pray, and this is his cry, and shouldn't this be our cry? If we found favor with God and he calls us by name. Can we all let's all pray this together what Moses prayed. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Wow, what a prayer. Eh? The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. It's got to be one of the most precious promises in the scriptures. So what is the source of rest? Is it a day off? How many have ever had to rest up from your holiday? How many have ever had to rest up from a day off? Because God's presence is the source of true rest. And so if we don't stop with God at the center, we don't rest. Right? Right? So, the source of true rest is the presence of God, as we find in Psalm 23 He makes me lie down in green do pastures, He leads me beside the still waters. Psalm 62 Find your rest in God, O my soul. Rest in Him. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, rest comes from the presence of God. And so the question is if there's rest in God's presence, why do we run from God? There's like this aversion, resistance, and attraction to God that we both we all share. When you know, when I was practicing the emotionally healthy spirituality disciplines, I would all I had to do was stop for five minutes for crying out loud. Five minutes in the middle of the day. I spend way more, I spent way more time on Facebook on distractions in the media than I did with that. But why was it so hard for me to do that? And some of you too. Why was that so hard? Why was there... I I knew I was supposed to stop my work, but I had this idolatrous attachment to getting things done, to everything being tied up in my life in a pretty bow, and then I'll rest. But I found that never happens. I have to stop with it undone. What is your aversion to the presence of God? Is it fear? Is it shame? Is it a feeling of unworthiness? Why won't we stop for God? So then, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. We're not going to take a substitute, sorry. No way. God, we're not going to take anybody that takes your place. No. Nobody can take your place. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What distinguishes us from anybody else? We're all... We all suck. Right? We all mess up. We're all fallen. We're all broken. What distinguishes us? God's presence from grace, as a result of His grace. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked, whew, because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. You know what God gave Israel? They gave them a learner's license. God gave Israel a learner's license. Moses was going to be the experienced driver, but God said, okay, I'll come with you. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. Now what is God's glory? God, God's glory is... His splendor and kind of the full picture of who God is. Moses said, I've still only got glimpses. I've seen, like, you're amazing. I've seen you bring water from the rock and and bring the manna. And you delivered us from Egypt. But I want to know you. I want to know what you're like. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Mercy and compassion. Mercy and compassion. And even God's judgment is an act of his mercy. God's judgment is God's love and goodness, refusing to allow evil to go unchecked. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. What does that mean? There's a guy named Gregory of Nyssa, lived in about the 4th or 5th century. He was one of the Cappadocian fathers, kind of in the area of Turkey and, and uh, Lebanon today. With three other guy or two other guys. One was his brother uh, Basil of Caesarea, and Gregory of Nyansen. These guys were incredible. This guy wrote a classic in about 350 AD. It's still a classic today. You can buy it in the region bookstore. It's in the region library. I mean, that's a pretty good, that's writing a pretty good book. If it's still a classic, eighteen hundred years later or seventeen hundred years later, and he writes about this this text, and he says this: is that to know, to see God's face, is to define God, to have God summed up, and the moment you do that, you die, because God is unknowable. God is infinite. And to, to know God and to walk, to walk with the unknowable is to set out on a lifetime and an eternity of following God from glory to glory and mercy to mercy and grace to grace. It's an ongoing... You, the moment you stop, the moment it's all finished, you die. It's like riding a bike. The moment you stop going forward, you fall over. Unless you're one of those really skillful people that can... It standing still, but most of us can't. So, to see God's face is to sum God up, to have full knowledge of God. And that's what we do with our theological statements. That's why, after the Protestant Reformation in Europe, for the the first hundred years, they did good and then it died for a while. You know why? Because they had God all summed up in theological statements. There are never going to be words to sum God up. I'm sorry. They help us. Words are a tool, but they are not the full story. And that's why Paul said, I count everything but loss." to know, to have the family car, to have relationship with God. In, the, uh, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I count everything worth giving up for the family car, to know God and to have community. It's worth it all. In fact, everything else is dung. uh, Martin Luther translated it scheisse in the German edition. Everything else is scheisse compared to knowing God. Right? Eula gets that one. Right? You did, Martin Luther. Yeah. See? I'm not the first pastor to swear. I'm inspired by Martin Luther. (laughs) So My lungs, my thoughts, my words are inadequate. One poet put it this way. If there are words to describe God, I don't have them. My God, His grace is remarkable. His mercies are innumerable. His strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable, yet knowable. He's indescribable, yet personal. He's beyond comprehension, farther than our imagination. Constant through generations. King of every nation. If there are words, I don't have them. And they're always inadequate. So I don't have enough words, but I do have good news. And that good news is about the word. The word who came. Who is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ. And that word has a name a name, hope has a name, peace and love has a name, and that name is Jesus. Yeah. So then the Lord said, okay, well, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen. So a cleft of the rock is like cleavage of a rock. It's like a, a, a fold. And God put Moses in there, came walking by, put his hand over Moses until he passed. And then he gone, now you can look. Now it's time to follow. So to be continued, Nate's going to fill you all in on the true meaning of all this. <laughs> Just kidding. The difficulty in cultivating relationships of intimacy and trust with God and others in community is part of the necessary training ground. Why is relationship hard? Why is knowing God hard? It's the training ground. So we can be entrusted with the family car and to know Him. These true pearls of great price. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So let's, I want to invite you into some silence. And I want, I want us to ask ourselves, what are some aversions you feel to intimacy with God? I, talk, I talked about some of mine. What is it that causes you to resist drawing near, being close? The one is, two, what are some of your greatest challenges when it comes to cultivating loving and healthy relationships with God and others? And how might these seeming barriers actually be an invitation of grace to grow in love? You know, a lot of times we go, well, I'm an introvert, or I've got this brokenness, or I've got this work schedule, or... We have all kinds of reasons... But God wants to come to you. So, One writer said, God comes to you disguised as your life. God comes to you disguised as your life. Think about that. What if those struggle points are actually God's invitation? To you? Of grace. And finally, do you tend towards... Conformity or isolation. We cannot do this alone. We need each other. I cannot know God alone without people walking with me in this journey. It's just the way we're wired. And anybody that thinks otherwise is in deception. That's where cults come from. That's where false understandings of God come from. Where people fall off the way. Independence and isolation. We can't do it alone. But the other side of that is each of our journeys are unique. I had to learn that with my son as he went through his long journey, long dark night. Many of you know the story. We had to learn that his journey is unique and not impose on him a cookie cutter view of how to know God and discipleship. And we're just seeing that emerge so amazingly. Every time I, I see him, I just go, this is the best visit I've ever had profound, not just good visit, but profound presence of God. So how can we reverence and honor each other in our unique uniqueness as human beings without, a, without independence, without going into independence, we're all just kind of on our own, like slaves in Egypt, just doing, doing our thing. But how can we also respect the uniqueness of each journey? So Holy Spirit, would you come? we don't apologize for saying that. Because even though we know you're everywhere, we want to know you. We want to be in relationship with you. And I want this church to be a place of the presence of God. A place that loves one another, that loves you. And because of that family car that we're entrusted with, you will be known in East Vancouver and in the city and in the world and in the nations and with our First Nations sisters and brothers in Lower Post and with Wade in and Cambodia, and that you will be known. come, Holy Spirit. Just let Him come to you with whatever invitation. Nate prayed in the pre-service prayer that the Lord would remove fear. So I just want you to pay attention to any fear you're feeling. And just allow perfect love. To know that you are in the presence of one who loves you infinitely more than the Think about the person who's loved you the most in your life. might have been a parent or a grandma or somebody that's shown you love. God's love for you is infinitely greater and beyond that. And that's the presence of love that you are in. Allow that love to just drive out the fear. Drive out the fear. Just come, Holy Spirit. Wash over us with your love today. So we thank you Lord for this. If some of you would like further prayer into